Hello, everyone. This is Rosemary Coates in Silicon Valley. I'm your host for this edition of Frictionless Supply Chain Podcast. I am the executive director of the Reshoring Institute, where we help companies bring back or expand their manufacturing in the U.S. And I'm a contributing writer to Supply Chain Management Review. Today, I'm thrilled to welcome my guest, Jennifer Clement, the president of Complete Holdings, which is the U.S. partner of Complete Manufacturing and Distribution, also known as CMD, in China. We're going to be talking about sourcing and manufacturing in China today and what's going on in Shanghai, which should be high interest to everyone doing global supply chain work. So welcome, Jennifer. Thanks, Rosemary. Glad to be here. Yeah, can you, um, let's start off and can you describe for us what CMD does and how you help your customers with global sourcing and manufacturing? Yeah, so we're uh, an organization that's been around about 30 years and uh, we have about 100 team members on the ground in Asia, three quarters of which are based in China and the rest are dotted around Southeast Asia as the need for supply chains diversify. Uh, we handle lots of supply chain and manufacturing work. So our typical brand owner is a mid-sized company that not quite big enough to have their own in Asia operation, but rely on us fractional use for finding, verifying, and qualifying suppliers, managing on the ground quality, and then coordinating logistics. Okay, so quite a lot of services inside of China. And you used to live in China, is that right? Yeah, I sure did. So. Um, moved the family there from 2015 until 2019, and that's when I started working about six and a half years ago for CMD. Okay, and you lived in Shanghai, is that right? Yeah, I did. I did. So our our China headquarters is based in Shanghai. Uh, got it. Okay. So Shanghai, wow, <laughs> it's a hot spot these days. Can you let's talk a little bit about Shanghai and can you tell us um, what you know about it? Of course, uh, they've been in lockdown for over seven weeks now, and I understand they're starting to open up a little bit, but uh, prime essentially they shut down the whole city for six weeks, including all the manufacturing plants and the ports and everything. Um, and uh, that's due to China's zero COVID policy. So they didn't want the spread of COVID anywhere. So they just completely shut down the city, including locking people into their apartments and there's no one on the streets. I mean, it's just, just incredible. Um, so how, you know, what is the, your experience with how that's going with your clients and, and the sourcing you have in China? Yeah, so um, fortunately, we were tipped off that the lockdown was going to come a little bit early. So we dispatched resources around China. Uh, most of our manufacturing facilities that we deal with, hundreds of them, are outside of Shanghai. Shanghai is a very expensive market in which to do business. Um, and so we, we do have technical engineering resources outside of Shanghai that are able to get around and do work with that. Because outside of Shanghai, factories are open. So they're able to procure raw material, um, produce product, and ship. Now, less through the port of Yangshan and Shanghai, because um, it's very difficult to get drivers <laughs> out of the city and to port. But other ports are open. So Shenzhen is open. Port of Ningbo is open. Um, and so we are able to move product around the globe. 
Oh, that's, that's good news. Um, but with all the factories that are shut down, there's going to have a ripple effect across supply chains, obviously. Um, uh, the ports in Shanghai are some of the busiest in the world, I think in the top three or four. Um, and if there's nothing coming out of those ports, once they reopen, there's going to be a whole big lump of stuff coming our way, right? I mean, there's backlog, I assume, and uh, higher rates and, you know, all those kind of ripple effects that we saw earlier in the pandemic. Absolutely. So, and this shutdown is longer than what we experienced in 2020. So it's impact, you're right, it's going to be much bigger. So if you look at a, a marine map of all of the empty container ships that are now stacked outside of Yangshan port, waiting to get back into port, reload and leave, um, we're going to be dealing with this for anywhere from three, six to nine months of getting um, containers in the right flow and in the right places again in the market. Um, we expect that the automotive industry, like it was hit in 2020, is going to get hit again, um, related to chip shortages, part shortages. The industry, the industry is so globalized. Um, its goal, of course, is to move from just-in-time to just-in-case and regionalizing those manufacturing supply chains, but that takes time. That takes more than a, a good five to 10 years of good solid sourcing work to make those supply chains light up and, and um, alleviate some of the challenges we're seeing now. But for now, we live in a very global economy and it's gonna take months um, for those parts shortages to ease up. So if you're looking to buy a new car, get on a waiting list now. Really, for sure. Yeah, I understand uh, too that the, the uh, war with Ukraine uh, is also affecting global supply chains. Um, neon, for example, which is an essential gas that's used to produce uh, semiconductors, is um, primarily sourced through Ukraine, and there's going to be a global shortage of neon, therefore a shortage of semiconductors on top of the current shortage, and on and on and on, which is going to affect global supply chains for the next several years, from my mm -hmm. understanding. Yeah, yeah. Another good example is palladium. So little known um, commodity. It's a, a difficult to source element. And about 40% of the world's palladium comes out of Ukraine and Russia. And it goes into things like the semiconductor industry. It goes into catalytic converters. So we're, we're going to see a ripple effect uh, for decades, not just on shipping and logistics challenges like we just talked about, but material supply. Um, when you combine Ukraine and Russia together, there are, they are number one in several categories, um, including, just was taking some notes on this the other day, um, combine Russia and Ukraine, number one in world production of wheat, processed nickel, fertilizer, natural gas, industrial neon, as you just mentioned, and palladium. So they're number one in the world. So think, think of the industries that are going to have to innovate and retool. Um, so catalytic converters, for example, we we're just talking about, um, there's, there's hope that um, new elements can take over, but we, we're talking about design cycles that are going to take years through the system. Yeah, that's an interesting point because I have clients who are currently redesigning their products to avoid the, uh, the sole source products that are giving them a lot of heartburn these days because of the pandemic and shutdowns and so forth. Um, and also, you know, try attempting to dual source products now, mm -hmm. not only mm -hmm. in China, but in other areas across Asia and, and Mexico primarily. Uh, but mm -hmm. holy cow, I mean, as, as supply chain professionals, 
we understand this ripple effect from the beginning of raw material production, wherever it is in the world, all the way through, um, uh, you know, the kind of production you would see in China, the more sophisticated manufacturing, the machining, all of that stuff, all the way through to consumer products. And then uh, with this uh, port shutdown and reopening, we're going to see a whole flood of products coming to the U.S. and again, have this backup situation in our ports. Um, you know, as, as I'm I know you're aware, and hopefully the audience is aware, the ports in China, of course, are much more sophisticated and bigger mm -hmm. and more efficient mm -hmm. than what we have in the U.S. We're behind by probably 20 years or so. And so it creates backlog on our end because we can't process those containers fast enough. Mm -hmm. So we're going to have shortages, stuff on the water for weeks, um, you know, I, we're just not going to be able to get consumer products or cars or this is going to last for quite some time, I think. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. You know, one of the other interesting things we've been reading about in the last couple of weeks, Rosemary, is um, given what's happening in Russia and Ukraine and in China, um, we're also seeing demand rise for in new, in new products um, in current industries. So, for example, um, Europe has declared they really want to wind down their dependence on oil and gas from Russia. And to do that, they're going to have to shift the heating technology that they're using. So I was just reading this morning that um, the old inefficient oil and gas burners that are used to heat most of Europe, um, demand is going to go up. And in fact, the Biden administration is considering using uh, the Defense Act to ramp up production of heat pumps, which uses electricity. We've got far more flexibility in the supply chain in Europe for um, electrical supply, solar, wind, green technologies, um, plus um, other, other means through nuclear that don't rely on natural gas. So the, the idea is we're gonna see a whole generation of heating technologies swapped out with an, an actually an older, an older technology, but a more, at the end of the day, it's a more efficient technology than what we're using with current oil and gas systems to heat homes and businesses. So we're gonna see demand um, rise and uh, factories having to shift and retool um, to meet the needs of some very different economies um, as the new world order changes. I, I, this, I've never ever lived through anything like this before. Um, the kind mm -hmm. of disruption and chaos in supply chains globally is just, unbelievable and um, you know really is going to require a lot of professional expertise with with really key supply chain people who are forward thinking and strategic thinking strategic thinkers uh, to solve some of these problems because they're going to go on and on and on and we need to think about our global supply chains differently mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so we know we know also from as I mentioned, I run the Reshoring Institute, and we know mm -hmm. that a lot of companies are bringing manufacturing back to the U.S. or considering mm -hmm. their global strategies, maybe a China plus one strategy or a China plus two other countries strategy, uh, hopefully including the U.S. But an awful lot of companies are also deciding to stay in China or at least mm -hmm. keep majority or part of their operations in China. Um, what's your advice that for companies that want to maintain their presence in China? Such a great question, Rosemary. So um, I, last week, I went to a conference um, that was hosted by the U.S. 
uh, China Chamber of Commerce that was launched during the Bush administration, supported by the Bush family. And the, the panelists, fascinating panel, three companies that are doing lots of business in China. So they make products um, here in the US in a Western market and sell in the East. And they're in China for China strategy is production locally um, to avoid some of the logistics challenges that we've been talking about. All three of them, very, very bullish on taking the long view, looking at long-term growth in China. Um, big market, it's historically, it's grown very, very quickly, large and growing consuming class um, and a very strong and stable and growing business base. So um, if, we, if we think broadly and think long-term past the pandemic, China's gonna be a growing market for many years to come. And certainly for the three industries that I saw represented, one in metallurgy, one in dust, industrial dust collection systems, interesting niche, and another woman in Green Bay, Wisconsin, who's making pet food in Wisconsin, and now 80% of her exports are shipping into China. Wow. Yeah, wow, so all, all three of these companies see China as a long-term goal strategy. for So in China, for China, production is strategic to their business. Now, for companies that are pure export, producing in China and then serving manu, um, uh, demand elsewhere. Again, we're going to see slow change to regionalize those supply chains closer to where the customer is located, exactly as these three companies have done and they're in China selling in China strategy. Yeah, we, we call that local for local. So local manufacturing, for local. yeah, manufacturing in your local region or your, your country. So manufacturing, mm -hmm. say in the US, to serve the US market in China to serve the Chinese market. And uh, yeah, I, I think you can't ignore the growth rates all across all across Asia. Um, the pandemic, of course, disrupts, disrupted some of that, but we were uh, essentially talking about 14 or 15% across Asia in growth markets because there are mm -hmm. so many people moving into the middle class and the yeah. demand for all kinds of products as a result of that is just skyrocketed. Sure, so yeah, sure. it's important to consider that. And, and we do too at the Reshoring Institute. Um, we help companies with their, uh, their strategies, um, their man global manufacturing strategies, mm -hmm. which generally is more than one country. So hopefully the US and then plus at least one other country and possibly two or three. So mm -hmm. it's pretty, pretty interesting change in strategic direction from what we saw 20 years ago when everyone just wanted to go to China. And that was the end of story. So, yeah. 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 So we're seeing um, well, a couple of things that came to mind as you were talking. Um, you know, one is the amount of foreign direct investment in China from all over the world investing in China for um, production and distribution in China was the highest on record in 2021 at $176 billion. So no other year has topped it. And so we, we do expect because it's a big growing market, that's gonna continue to increase. Yes, lots of challenges and hiccups this year. Um, secondly, and I, I wholeheartedly agree with you that we're gonna see great interest in reshoring. The struggle is going to be finding labor um, in this country um, and there, there are also will we'll be challenged also with certain pieces and parts that are highly specialized that are, for example, made in China, lighting assemblies. Shenzhen is in Guangdong, um, huge region for uh, LED and creation of lighting systems. 
they have some of the most highly automated, very sophisticated plants in the world. It would take a long time to replicate that sophistication outside of China. So chances are, even if we, um, the desk lamp that's sitting on my desk today, even if we assemble that in the US, we're probably gonna bring in the, the LED lighting kit um, from highly specialized, highly automated factories like what we see in Shenzhen for lighting. Yeah, for sure. So global supply chains are definitely integrated and there's no stopping that. I mean, it's just, it's in some cases impossible uh, to source everything domestically. And, and we shouldn't, I think, be thinking that way either. We're in the middle of a <clears throat> of global supply chain revolution. And, uh, and I think we need to learn how to optimize that instead mm -hmm. of uh, simply saying we should manufacture here or there. Well, Jennifer, any closing thoughts today? Yeah, so you mentioned it earlier, Rosemary, the need for supply chain diversification is intensifying. I, I'm amazed at the number of um, small and medium-sized companies that are so dependent on one supplier, where 90% of their production is in one factory, and for that factory, 90% of that factory's business is that customer. So all kinds of reasons why looking at it, as you said, an N plus one strategy is, is sound business. So, and that's certainly the kind of thing that we're in business to do now and well into the future. Thanks for the opportunity to participate today, Rosemary. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it was great. It was great. And, and clearing some things up about what's going on in Shanghai, I think is helpful for a lot of companies that are doing China sourcing also. So thank you so much for joining us, Jennifer. Uh, can you please give us your contact information? Yeah, um, feel free to reach me at jennifer.clement, C-L-E-M-E-N-T at Complete Mad, um, M-A-D for manufacturing and distribution.com. Great. Thank you so much. And you can listen to more podcasts on Supply Chain Management Reviews, The Frictionless Supply Chain, or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can reach me, Rosemary Coates, at rcoates at reshoringinstitute.org. And visit our website at www.reshoringinstitute.org, where we publish all of our research on manufacturing in America. And of course, visit Supply Chain Management Review online. Thank you. Have a great day.